Well, good morning. Wow, good to see you guys. I want you to think about this. God chose you to echo the message and the power and the authority of heaven on earth. I, uh, I was thinking about this illustration. I asked my wife, I said, about an acorn. And, you know, an acorn isn't, comes from an acorn tree? No, it doesn't come from an acorn tree. It comes from an oak tree. And I said, well, why don't they call it an oak nut? I mean, have you ever thought about stuff like this? I mean, it just drives me crazy. And, and I said, well, do we have any acorns? And she said, no, why would we have acorns? I said, well, don't we like crack those like at Thanksgiving and eat them like with walnuts and stuff? She said, you don't eat acorns. I said, well, that's silly. Why would you not be able to eat an acorn? And why is it called an acorn if it comes from an oak tree? So my mind is just kind of spinning with this stuff. And, and I said, well, can you go by the store and buy some acorns for me on the way to church? He said, they don't sell acorns at the grocery store because you don't eat acorns. Well, my mind is just kind of going crazy with this. And I found an acorn. Okay, so I have an acorn. So I want to I wanna give this as an illustration. We said last week that faith is the currency of heaven. If you're going to get anything from heaven to earth, you're only going to get it by faith. You're not going to get it by pleading for something or crying for something. You're not going to get it by wishing upon a star. You're going to get it by faith. So I want you to think about an acorn because you have to be able to see the oak tree in the acorn. See, within this little acorn is an oak tree. And so it is with you that if your faith, you have to be able to see in your faith the substance of that which you're trusting God for. And that's the only way it becomes a reality. So I had my faithful assistant and spouse this morning studying acorns. I said, look up the acorn thing. I'm still worried about this acorn. What does it mean? What does the word acorn mean? And the first definition that came up, it actually comes, the word acorn actually comes from a German word, but it literally means the land to be discovered. You see, God took this nut, not this nut, this nut, and he said, I'm going to show you something about the kingdom, even in a naming of this nut that doesn't make any sense you understand the origin of that word, it is the land yet to be discovered. And I would say that your faith is a land yet to be discovered. That God has thousands upon thousands of things he wants to bring into your life, but he cannot do it unless you operate according to the kingdom. The Bible says that one day is as a thousand days or a thousand, one day is as a thousand years unto the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this for one moment because we calculate time based on days, weeks, years, months, etc. So you think about what happens in one of your days. God says that's the equivalent of a thousand of my years. Now, stay with me on this one because this one's going to get a little deep. How many blessings does God have for you in a thousand years? God says, I can give you those every day. 
Because one of your days is as a thousand of my years. God has stored up blessings that are waiting for you, answers to prayer that are waiting for you, but you have to learn how to release those in heaven, on earth, and that's what Echo Series is all about. There's a principle in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a selfless kingdom. If you put self into the kingdom, you lose all the benefits of the kingdom. It is a selfless kingdom. Humility always comes before honor in God's kingdom. If you try to have honor before humility, you blow up the entire system of the kingdom in your own life. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due season he might exalt you. God wants to exalt you. God wants to lift you up. God wants to give you more. God wants to even honor you, but he cannot do it unless you first walk in humility. The problem with humility is if you think you have it, you don't. If you tell someone you have it, you've gone even further down the rung. Humility is something that you, you, you're not aware of, but you possess and you carry with you. We are to carry humility as we carry a garment, as we carry a spirit. We carry that with us wherever we go. The standard in the kingdom, now watch this, the standard in the kingdom is not set by man but by God. We don't ask God to conform to our standard. He is the standard, and we ask, how can we be like him? How can we shape our life and our thinking after him? That's why we want to have the mind of God. When we have the mind of God, we think like God thinks, we see like God sees, and we don't have to be, be shaken by what we feel and experience on life on planet Earth. Let's jump into the message here. The, me the ministry of Christ is our standard, not contemporary culture. I realize that it's very, very popular and in, in a lot of churches to try to say, how do we take and give you culture that you accept and you like in such a way, and in the process, we mess up the message? What we want to do is we want to be relevant, but we don't want to substitute contemporary culture for the message so that we make the message palatable. We make it easy for people to accept. Think about how radical Jesus was. He said to the religious leaders, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look good, but on the inside you're just dead men's bones. Not very PC, is it? Right? Think about John the Baptist. They came down to be baptized, the Sadducees and Pharisees, and he said, bring forth fruits of repentance and then I'll baptize you. He says, you're a brood of vipers. Have you ever heard this? We were having a discussion with our friends who spent the night uh, with us this weekend, and, and uh, we were talking and said, I just want to be Christ-like. I said, which event in Christ's life do you want to be Christ-like? Have you ever thought about that? When we say I want to be Christ-like, typically what that translates into contemporary culture is I want to be a floor mat so everyone can walk over me. How about do you want to be Christ-like? Do you want to be Christ-like when he drove the money changers out of the temple? Do you want to be the Christ that said to Peter, get behind me, Satan? Do you want to be the Christ in the second coming that when he comes down, he judges the world? Do you want to be the Christ who reaches down and ha picks up the hand of the Samaritan woman and gives her grace and gives her mercy? What, what moment in Christ's life do you want to be? You see, only discretion, wisdom, and discernment will guide you in those things. 
I guarantee you that to be Christ-like does not mean to be a floor mat. You see, Jesus was meek, but he was never weak. We are to be meek, but never weak. We are to walk in the strength of the Spirit of God, putting on the armor of God, knowing that we are the head and not the tail. That is the divine commandment. That is, that's what servants in the kingdom do. Let me give you a story. This is a story of the ten lepers. It says in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, Now it happened when he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then he entered into a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. You see, they were commanded because they thought it was contagious, that you could get it just by touching someone. Jesus blew that up on several occasions when he reached down and touched the leper and healed them. He wanted to show that there was, not, there was nothing that physically was going to, to hurt you by touching a leper, but he also wanted to break down all the social junk that was in the world right there that prevented love to someone who was an outcast. And if you don't understand that principle, you, you miss the kingdom. You see, we are called to touch the lives of those who are social outcasts, regardless what that social stigma is in their life. He said, and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's interesting because they, they don't use the word Lord, but they use the word Master. They said, Jesus, they said, Savior, would you have mercy on us? Would you do something here? Because we are without mercy right now. We are living our life apart from mercy, and we are, we are, we are, we are so isolated from God and from man and from our family and everybody else, we need mercy in our life. Would you have mercy on us? So he saw them. I want you to know that when you reach out to Jesus, he sees you. You see, he, it was interesting that the Holy Spirit put that little phrase in there, he saw them. It doesn't say he heard them, he said he saw them. He connected with them. They were not used to someone looking into their eyes and seeing the depth of their pain in their soul. He says he saw them. I want you to know that Jesus sees you. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. He sees you. He doesn't see your junk. That's so important because we, we tend to judge people by what we see in them. Jesus can look past that and see into the heart of the pain and the real person, and that's why he's such a wonderful Savior. And he says when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. What an unusual comment. He doesn't say be healed. He says go and do what the law prescribes. That is, go to the priest and see, am I clean? And then the priest would declare them clean. But I, it's really interesting what happens here. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. You see, their going was faith. Not the words of their mouth. It was their action that was faith. Faith always has this verb connected to it. The idea is, what are you doing that, said, that demonstrates to someone that you believe what he said? It could be you say, I'm healed. It could be you say, God has got it. Whatever it is, it says, as they went... They were cleansed. Now let me take you through a journey on this idea of the kingdom because our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. Our assignment is not to go to heaven. That's our destination. Our assignment on earth is to bring the reality of heaven on earth so that people understand the Father. Because without understanding the Father, they don't want anything to do with Christianity. 
When people say this, I like the God of the Old Testament, not the New, then you don't understand God because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not a different God. You just don't understand the God of the Old Testament. That's the reality. When you understand the God of the Old Testament, it makes sense. And you understand it's not a different God at all. Because what you see in everything that Jesus is doing uh, in the New Testament, he was already doing in the Old Testament because the Son of God did not come into existence it, in Bethlehem. The Son of God was always was. He is the divine person of the Trinity. He was there at creation. And he's hidden in the shadows of everything that's happening throughout the Old Testament. You can see him clearly. Citizens of the realm, we are citizens of the realm. When we come into faith in God, citizens of the realm, what they do is they honor the king. That is our job. We honor the king. How do I honor King Jesus today? That's got to be the question in our heart. Now watch this. This is really powerful because the standard of heaven is perfect confidence in God. That's the standard. If I have perfect confidence in God, then when problems come to me, I don't fear and I don't blame God. Because I'm operating as, a stand, as the standard of heaven as a citizen of the kingdom. So what I'm saying is I have confidence in God. You say, but your world's falling apart. I still have confidence in God. My job is not to read society or read my emotions and determine my life and my joy and my happiness based on what I see, but rather to put my faith and confidence in the God of heaven. Then it doesn't matter what's falling apart around me. I just say, well, God's got it. God brought me through this for some reason. I don't know what it is. It doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't like it. There's a lot of stuff that God takes me through I don't like, amen? But I trust him, and I love him, and I don't blame him because I have confidence in the God of heaven who understands the end before the beginning. The kingdom of God has a king, it has a realm, it has law, it has subjects. And the king of the kingdom, now watch this, the king of the kingdom, he protects, he empowers, and he envisions. So let me just take you through this. Think about the kingdom of God, there is a realm. The realm of God is the rule of God. The kingdom of God is not just here. The kingdom of God is not just on earth. The kingdom of God is not just in space. It includes into what we call in the Bible the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. It extends beyond that, and there is no place where his authority and his rule does not operate. He is not threatened by anyone, including Satan or you or people denying him. He is not threatened by, by church attendance. He is not threatened by, by people using his name in vain. He's not worried. He's not wringing his hands. He's not looking at the Holy Spirit and the, and the Son and saying, what are we going to do? He never does that. He is confident because he knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the, and the Omega, and he knows all things before all things were ever understood or made. He seeks counsel from no one because no one can advise the one who knows all things. He does not seek power from anyone because he is omnipresent. That means he is present everywhere, and he is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. He established a law. The law is called the Word of God. Everything that operates in the realm operates by the law of God, the revelation of God. The Word is literally the breath of God. Jesus came as a living word, and he gave us the written word so that we might understand, so it is by thy words that we live, breathe, and have our being. Subjects in the kingdom are those who agree to the rules of the law and operate within the realm of the kingdom. 
So there are those who are not subjects, they're rebels in the kingdom, but they're still under the authority of the king. And God, even in his mercy, blesses those within that realm who are not subjects by saying, I cause it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I bring life to those, even those who, who do not love me and serve me yet. And then there is the king. The king means he's the king. The best way to understand kingship is he's the king. Did I make that clear? Is there anything about kingship you don't understand? He's king and I'm not. The first rule in the kingdom is God is God and I'm not. The second one is that God does what he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants. And the third rule is he doesn't have to ask for, uh, get an explanation or give an explanation to anyone in the realm because he's the king. That's how the kingdom of God operates on planet earth. The message of the kingdom was really simple. He got his disciples together. He said, here's your message. I want you to take the message and go out and do it. And then he passed it on to the 70. Then he passed it on to us. Here it was. The message was clear. Proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. In a later occasion, they said, what's the, king, what's the message of the kingdom? He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Pretty simple. That's our kingdom assignment. Whose? Mine? Yes. It's ours. You see, because you are a subject within the realm, you've been empowered with the law and the spirit, and you are to go out and carry out the dictates of the king. Now watch this. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is essential. You cannot operate apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a good Christian and not live in the power of the spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit living in you as a, to be a believer, and you have to be led by the Spirit to confirm that you are sons of the living God, and you have to walk in his power. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's really simple. God, just forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with your Spirit, and let me be used by you. You say that every time you think of it during the day, and you'll watch how your life will change. There's no f magic formula here. Charles Finney was a great evangelist that lived uh, uh, in the 1800s, and, and Finney was someone who was powerfully moved. They, Finney was so far from God that, believe it or not, the pastor of the church where Finney would attend and lead music said, quit praying for Finney. He's too far away. He was a great musician. He was also an attorney, and they let him lead worship, but they knew he wasn't converted. They said, quit praying for Finney. He's too far gone. Finney, on one moment in time, he was led into the wilderness, and when he went out into the woods, he began to pray, and he was under such pressure of the Holy Spirit, he later wrote this about his conversion. I was powerfully converted on the morning of the 10th of October, 1821. In the evening of the same day, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost that went through me as it seemed body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here or there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. And it was from that that Finney would be greatly used to radically change the world of that day and see many, many people come to faith in Christ. Now back to the lepers, Luke chapter 17, verse 15, and one of them, remember the 10? And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on the face, on his face at the feet, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now, I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment, but I want you to think about this. Only one out of 10 celebrated. Can I tell you that we've seen people healed here that once they're healed, they're done with God? I know it seems impossible. 
They've seen great miracles, but they just can't seem to connect the next piece of it. Think about this thought. By not celebrating what God has given you, you have proven yourself unworthy of increase. By not celebrating what God has given you, you have proven yourself unworthy of increase. You see, God, because God is a loving, good God, he's going to bless you. And you're going to know that blessing. But what you do with that blessing is going to determine if he's going to take you to the next level of blessing. Because you can short-circuit what God wants to do in the future because you're so thankful for what you've got that you don't care any more about anything else. You just wanted to get healed. You just wanted to get a job. You just wanted to get married. You just wanted to get pregnant. You just wanted something out of God, and God gave it to you. And then you said, and you're just happy, and you're content there, and you're satisfied living on this level. And God said, this is just basic living. This is not abundant living. God wants to take you to the next level. The enemy is defeated when you return with praise. That's when the enemy is defeated. Not when you see the miracle. It's when you return with praise. You see, you were designed to carry the presence of God. You were custom designed by God. Angels were never designed to carry the presence of God. They were, they were designed to proclaim the presence of God, but you carry the presence of God because in all of creation, the only creatures that God created to carry his presence were man. He created you with a spirit, little s, that contains his Holy Spirit, big S, right? Your body, soul, and spirit, so you are a carrier. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You remember the, the book of Acts, some of you remember the story. It says that there was on their head like, like flames of fire. And you look at that and go, what was that all about? God was showing them that that was the flame. That was the flame. They were now the temple. They were now the carriers. Just like in the Old Testament, the flame of God was on the tabernacle and in the temple when the Shekinah glory came. He says, now my glory is on the individual. You're a carrier's. Exposure to the supernatural will increase your capacity. When you expose yourself, to, like Tammy said, when, when you come and listen to Rietta, you're exposing yourself to the supernatural. What it does is it expands your capacity for the supernatural. That's why you should never miss an opportunity. When God is doing something like that, you say, I've got to be there. I'll change my entire schedule. I have to be there because I want to expand my capacity for the supernatural. Because your willingness to embrace the kingdom makes room for more revelation. Your willingness to embrace the kingdom makes room for more revelation. I say, I want more revelation. Then you have to put yourself, you have to position yourself in order to do that. I want to just uh, cut to a, a short video here of uh, kids praying uh, for uh, one another. So can we see that video now? We don't have that video now. There it is. What were you doing when you were eight, nine years old? Were you praying for your friends? Were you standing at a prayer wall? Were you praying over the healing of a, of a child? Or were you playing a video game? What were you doing? You see, we have to reclaim the power that was forfeited to the enemy. Part of what we do is we go back and we retrieve whatever we gave over to the enemy. Now go back with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 17 and 19. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? 
Were there not found any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Remember, it was a Samaritan who came, right? The Samaritan came back. You know why the Samaritan came back? It was more than gratitude. You know what it was? He had no priest. He wasn't Jewish. Where do I go? And in that moment, he realized that Jesus was not only healer, he was his priest. He was Lord. He came back, and look what it says. He says, were there not any found that returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? And he said unto him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, what's interesting? There was only one who was made well, but there were 10 that were healed. Do you know that you can be healed and not be made well? You see, because you got healed doesn't make you well. It doesn't make you whole. It makes you healed. What God is teaching us here is this principle that I can get in a little bit of God and never get the full revelation experience of God because I short-circuited it myself. You can encounter the kingdom and not be made whole. You see, because kingdom residents, watch this, are agents of transformation. You see, when you're made whole, you don't hold the blessing to yourself. You now make that blessing available to others. You now feel compelled to pray for someone else. You see, when we, what we've done is, and we've begun a transformation in our whole generational ministry that began really this year, and it is that we are not going to play games with kids apart from them understanding the reality of the supernatural. So we're going we're gonna to let kids have fun. And you saw in that video, they had a lot of fun. But you also saw them at the prayer wall. Did you see the intensity of them at the wall? I was praying this morning, and God just gave me this, this little revelation. He said, I was looking at this, this little box. It was, about, it was about six. It was a one brick. It was six inches high and about 10 to 12 inches wide. And I counted the number of prayer requests just in that one little spot I was in, just a half of a square foot, right? And there were 42 prayer requests. So I multiplied that out, and I based on what I estimated that wall to be, and I, and I estimated the walls about 50% full in two years. And I estimated there were somewhere between eight and 12,000 prayer requests on our wall right now. It's interesting that some people are so concerned about if we have enough room for all the prayer requests, but they don't put any in it. Some are interested in, in being prayed for, but they don't pray. You know why we don't pray? Because it's the most selfless thing we can do. We don't get any credit. Nobody notices us. We don't see immediate results most of the time. But without miracles, there can never be a full revelation of Jesus. How did they know? When they said, are you the one or should we look for another? You know what he said? He said, the blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. Prisoners are set free. Chains are falling off. If you don't see the power of God, the miracle of God, you never get the full revelation of Jesus. You're just operating with Christianity as a hobby and a good thing to bring about better ethical behavior, but it never is transformational and powerful. There must be power in order for the full revelation of Jesus to be. Because you see, the reason Jesus healed was not to relieve suffering. Now listen to this. This is really powerful. He did not heal to relieve suffering. 
he healed to reveal the Father. Because if everybody's made well at the local hospital, that doesn't necessarily mean they meet the Father. I thank God for modern medicine, but it is not designed to reveal the Father unless you have a heart for the Father. They ask on one occasion, the man that was born blind, they ask him, who sinned, his parents or him, that he was blind? And Jesus said, neither, but for the glory of God. They asked the man, what happened? He said, I don't know. In other words, it doesn't matter. All I know is once I was blind, and now I see. Transformational. We think about how we apply this to our life. We have to move in the direction of our divine assignment. In other words, you're never more like Jesus than when you're praying for someone. You realize the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to do miracles? In fact, the only thing they ever asked him to do was to teach them how to pray because they knew in that little moment of prayer was everything they needed. There were times when they were bothered, I'm sure, that he wanted to be alone because he had to go pray. But they knew while he was away that something was happening. We have to live in a manner that nothing, nothing in life is bigger than God. When I hear people complain about their life, I know that, that their, their problems are bigger than God. When I hear people worry, I know that their worry is bigger than God. When I hear people assassinate someone's character, slander, or gossip, I know that those things are bigger than God. Let nothing in your life be bigger than God, and everything else will fall into place. Doesn't mean all your problems go away. Doesn't mean life becomes super simple. It just means that now you have stability in the midst of storm that answers all of life's questions. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, life in the kingdom can be a, just reduced down to a simple acorn, a land yet to be discovered. That we don't eat an acorn, we plant it. Think about how simple that truth is. It's the one nut that we don't eat. I love the mysteries of the kingdom. Can you see the oak tree in the acorn in your life? When you begin to see it, you begin to see it grow. Maybe it's a little twig. It just, it just begins to start to, to sprout up. And it's small, and the winds move it in every direction, but it's growing. And when it grows to full, to full capacity, you understand that nothing moves that mighty oak tree in your life because you built it day after day. You let it grow and nurture and feed from the soil the richness of God's plan. And you are like a mighty oak tree standing firm in the midst of every storm that comes up against you. I want to ask you today if, if you know Christ. I mean really know him. I don't mean you call yourself a Christian. Do you really know Jesus? 
Could you say with confidence if you stood before him today and Jesus said, why should I let you into my kingdom, that you would have a clear answer why you should get into the kingdom? If you don't, can I give you the answer? It's very simple. It's a simple act of faith. It's a prayer. And you can pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead to give me life. And by faith, I receive that gift of eternal life. If that was your prayer for the first time, you, I just want to ask you just to thank him in your own heart right now. God, thank you for saving me. Not on the basis of my goodness or, or my lack thereof, but just save me because you love me. And your divine plan was such. Give him praise. Give him glory. You know, we're going to... Uh, we're just going to sing here together this last song, and, and as we do, uh, it's really a dismissal song. It's a song where you can stay and sing. You can kind of move out. But can I ask you to do one thing today? Can I ask you to overwhelm the prayer wall with your request today? Would you walk out there, take a piece of paper? I'm sure everyone in this room has got something or someone that you, you need to lift up. You know, there, there's an amazing point of contact in that prayer wall. When you stand at that wall... If you stand at that wall and pray, you're going to feel something. I promise you. Because it is a touch point of every heart, pain, difficulty, joy, expectation for two years that we've been in this building. And when you put one in there, guess what? Sunday morning, our prayer team's praying there. Throughout the week, we're praying there. We are lifting that up before the Father. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to bless you as we go, and we're going to sing if you want to sing. But let's just give God the glory. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you. May you plant the acorn in the land yet to be discovered. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>